Welcome back to the Hemingwayless podcast for part 11, chapter 3 of Buddenbrooks. That's how typhoid works. But before we discuss how typhoid works, uh, today we're reading the final chapter of the book. Uh, and as such, we need to talk about the plan to do what we're going to do next. In case you missed it, we are going to take a week off. Okay? One week break, and we'll meet back here to start the Oxford Book of Verse. I was asked recently... Um, I did a little interview with one of the listeners, uh, which was cool. I think I might have just rambled on and on endlessly. Um, can't really remember what I said, but uh, I did a lot of talking. <laughs> uh, but anyway, in those ramblings, we were talking about what am I going to do next after we finish the list? Because there's only a few more books left on the list. Uh, and the honest answer is like, I don't know. As of today, I've podcasted for over 1,600 days in a row. Haven't missed a day, right? Which is crazy. And so I don't know how I would feel about stopping. But I, like, part of me wants to stop so that I can get that time back in my day and maybe do some writing every night or do something else, you know? Um... But another part of me is kind of scared to stop, you know, after 1,600 days in a row, and I enjoy doing it, and I enjoy all, all of your company and being a part of this, so I feel like, you know, I don't want to lose that. So, what will I do next? And so, I don't know what it would feel like to stop at this point. So this week off will give me a little, little glimpse of how that might feel, you know, just a week's worth and see if I miss it terribly, see if I feel like my day is incomplete without podcasting or maybe I feel relieved that I don't have to podcast. I don't know how I feel genuinely. So that's that's the plan, a week off. Then we come back and read poems and it's going to be glorious. All right, so it's the 9th today. We're finishing this book today on the 9th. So we'll meet back on, I guess, the 16th. Yeah? Cool. Although there will be a podcast tomorrow, I should say, because we'll do the wrap-up episode, you know, to discuss the book as a whole. So I, I guess it'll be that'll be on the 10th, so we'll come back on the 17th. Yeah. Cool. Techrific says, a short... And terrifying chapter. It is clear he will die. This book is such a strange animal. The only redeeming feature is that it was written by a 24-year-old. I find that quite miraculous. It's deeply flawed, but with one chapter to go, it doesn't feel like we've read 722 pages so far. Time has flown by in a torrent of vignettes to end up here with these two chapters that, that comes before the coda. The culmination of the Buddenbrook family saga is Hanno withering away on the vine by a terrible affliction. Hardly life-affirming stuff. Is it Hanno that's that's got typhoid? I guess it is, but it's kind of in, it's kind of a mystery so far. But um, it doesn't feel like seven hundred and twenty-two pages worth of stuff has happened. Like a lot of stuff has happened, but there hasn't been very many moments that I've felt like I've been a part of. You know, just things happen, but it feels like when someone else tells you, 
oh, did you know so-and-so had a baby? And you're like, oh, that's good. But I didn't really experience it, you know? Um, a lot of the book kind of flew flew by in that kind of a way where they've told us that a lot of things happened, but I didn't really feel like I was part of many moments for 722 pages, especially. Um, it is quite crazy, though, to think that he was 24 when he wrote that. It doesn't feel like a book written by a 24-year-old. That's for damn sure. Uh, so that, that is quite amazing. All right. Let's read this one last chapter. It's fairly short, five pages or so. Um, and then and then that's it for, for this book. Chapter four. It is not right. It is not right, Goethe, said old Fraulein Wichbrot, perhaps for the hundredth time. Her voice was full of reproach and distress. She had a sofa placed today in the circle that sat round the centre table in the drawing room of her former pupil, Goethe Buddenbrook. Frau Pomanita, her daughter Erica, poor Clothilda, and the three Misses Buddenbrook made up the group. The green caps strings still fell down upon the old lady's childish shoulders, but she had grown so thin with her 75 years of life that she could scarcely raise her elbow high enough to gesticulate above the surface of the table. No, it is not right, and so I tell you, Gerda, she repeated. She spoke with such warmth that her voice trembled. I have one foot in the grave, my time is short, and you can think of leaving me, of leaving us all forever, if it were just a visit to Amsterdam that you were thinking of, but to leave us forever. She shook her bird-like old head vigorously, and her brown eyes were clouded with her distress. It is true you have lost a great deal. No, she has not lost a great deal. She has lost everything, said Frau Pomanda. We must not be selfish, Therese. Gerda wishes to go, and she is going, that is all. She came with Thomas one and twenty years ago, and all we all loved her, though she very likely didn't like any of us. No, you didn't, Gerda, don't deny it. But Thomas is no more, and nothing is any more. What are we to her? Nothing. We feel it very much, we cannot help feeling it, but yet I say, go with God's blessing, Gerda, and thanks for not going before, when Thomas died. It was an autumn evening after supper, little Johann, Justice Johann Kasper, had been lying for nearly six months, equipped with the blessing of Pastor Pringsheim out there at the edge of the little grove beneath the sandstone cross, beneath the family arms. The rain rustled the half-leafless trees in the avenue, and sometimes gusts of wind drove it against the window panes. All eight ladies were dressed in black. The little family had gathered to take leave of Gerda Buddenbrook, who was about to leave the town and return to Amsterdam, to play duets once more with her old father. No duties now restrained her. Frau Pomanita could no longer oppose her decision. She said it was right. She knew it must be so, but in her heart she mourned over her sister-in-law's departure. If the senator's widow had remained in the town and kept her station and her place in society and her, and left her property where it was, there would still have remained a little prestige to the family name, but let that be as it must. Frau Antoni was determined to hold her head high while she lived, and there were people to look at her. Had not her grandfather driven with four horses all over the country? 
Despite the stormy life that lay behind her and despite her weak digestion, she did not look her fifty years. Her skin was a little faded and downy and a few hairs grew on her upper lip, the pretty upper lip of Tony Buddenbrook. But there was not a white hair in that smooth coiffure beneath the morning cap. Poor Clothilde bore up under the departure of her relative, as one must bear up under the afflictions of this life. She took it with patience and tranquillity. She had done wonders at the supper table, and now she sat among the others, lean and grey as of yore, and her words were drawling and friendly. Uh, Erica Winschenk, now thirty-one years old, was likewise not one to excite herself unduly over her auntie's departure. She had lived through worse things and had early learned resignation. Submission was her strongest characteristic, one read it in her weary light blue eyes, the eyes of Bendix Grunlich, and heard it in the tones of her patient, sometimes plaintive voice. The three Mrs. Buttonbrook, Uncle Gothel's daughters, wore their old affronted and critical air, Friedrich and Henriette, the eldest had grown leaner and more angular with the years, while Fifi, the youngest, now fifty-three years old, was much too little and fat. Old Frau Consul Kroger, Uncle Justus' widow, had been asked too, but she was rather ailing, or perhaps she had no suitable gown to put on, one couldn't tell which. They talked about Gerda's journey and the train she was to take, about the sale of the villa, and the furnishings which her gosh had undertaken, for Gerda was taking nothing with her, she was going away as she had come. Then Frau Pomanita began to walk, to talk about life. She was very serious and made observations upon the past and the future, though of the future there was in truth almost nothing to be said. When I am dead, she declared, Erica may move away if she likes, but as for me, I cannot live anywhere else. And so long as I am on earth, we will come together here, we who are left. Once a week, you'll come to dinner with me, and we will read the family papers. She put her hand on the portfolio that lay before her on the table. Yes, Gerda, I will take them over and be glad to have them. Well, that is settled. Do you hear, Tilda? Though it might exactly as well be you who should invite us, for you are just as well off as we are now. Yes, so it goes. I've struggled against fate and done my best, and you have just sat there and waited for everything to come round. But you are a goose, you know, all the same. Please don't mind if I say so. Oh, Tony, Clothilda said, smiling. I'm sorry I cannot say goodbye to Christian, said Gerda, and talk turned aside to that subject. There was small prospect of his ever coming out of the institution in which he was confined although he was probably not too bad to go about in freedom, but the present state of things was very agreeable for his wife. She was, Frau Pomanita as asserted, asserted, in league with the doctor, and Christian would, in all probability, end his days where he was. There was a pause. They touched delicately with hesitation upon recent events, and when one of them let fall little Johann's name, it was still in the room, except for the sound of the rain which fell faster than before. This silence lay like a heavy secret over the events of Hanno's last illness. It must have been a frightful onslaught. They did not look in each other's eyes as they talked. Their voices were hushed and their words were broken, but they spoke of one last episode, the visit of the little ragged count, 
who had almost forced his way to Hanno's bedside. Hanno would smile when he had heard his voice, though he hardly knew anyone, and Kai had kissed his hands again and again. He kissed his hands, asked the Buttonbrook ladies. Yes, over and over. They all thought for a while of this strange thing, and then suddenly Frau Pomander burst into tears. I loved him so much, she sobbed. You don't, any of you know how much, more than any of you. Yes, forgive me, Gerda. You are his mother. Oh, he was an angel. He is an angel now, corrected Sesame. Hanno, little Hanno, went on Frau Pomander, the tears flowing down over her soft, faded cheeks. Tom, father, grandfather, and all the rest, where are they? We shall see them no more. Oh, it is so sad, so hard. There will be a reunion, said Friedrich Buddenbrook. She folded her hands in her lap, cast down her eyes, and put her nose in the air. Yes, they say so. Oh, there are times, Friedrich, when that is no consolation. God forgive me. When one begins to doubt, doubt justice and goodness and everything, life crushes so much in us. It destroys so many of our beliefs. A reunion, if that were so... But now Sesame Witchbrot stood up as tall as ever she could. She stood on tiptoe, wrapped on the table. The cap shook on her old head. It is so, she said with her whole strength, and looked at them all with a challenge in her eyes. She stood there, a victor in the good fight which all her life she had waged against the assaults of reason. Humpbacked, tiny, quivering with the strength of her convictions, a little prophetess, admonishing and inspired the end the end Sesame Weechbrot got the last say hey interesting ah poor Hanno poor poor Hanno alright guys well that was that book um we'll talk about it in uh, over on the subreddit talk about the chapter talk about the book overall what do you think did you love it I liked it to be honest I, it was one of my preferred books from the list um, so yeah interesting to hear what you all reckon alright I'll see you tomorrow